that's where it started. I had to be better for them. I had to be better for myself first and foremost to pick myself up. And the reinvention came from just being better for my, myself and my family. Susie, was being in the first reality TV pop group hearsay the best or worst thing for your career? Do I have to choose one? Yeah, the best or the worst. It was both. If I had to choose one, I'm going to be controversial. I'm going to say worst. Okay. Why was it the worst thing for your career? Because I, I'm thinking about it. Because, you know, I, I was going to say it was the best and worst thing because there were amazing opportunities. There were. And I don't want to sound ungrateful because it was a very privileged situation to be in. But as t in terms of timing, being the first of the reality shows, nobody in the industry knowing exactly how it worked, how to um, create this brand, maintain the brand, and how to help us. It was the worst timing possible to be auditioning for a reality show that had nobody knew what would happen to us. Um, so therefore, we didn't last that long. I mean, we were together for a tomato season. I mean, what? Not even like two years. Well, the, yeah, the research for me, is, it said 20 months. Yeah, yeah. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, 20 months. And that was all by stroke before your age of 21. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I The day the band split up was my 21st birthday. It was actually on my 21st birthday. So were you part of the decision to split or was it a surprise? It was um, a small surprise. Probably knew it was coming. Um, tell us how so, it happened. So going back, um, Kim had left the band six months prior to that. So Kim was in the band, uh, Kim Marsh, who I, you know, the, four, the five of us, Kim Marsh, Mining Class, myself, uh, Danny Foster and Noel Sullivan. And Kim left the band after about a year. We'd done our first tour. We'd signed our second tour. Um, we're about to hit our third album. Um, recorded brilliant songs. We'd recorded with some amazing producers in New York. Um, really cool sound. And we'd signed kind of cross from the pop. We were starting to get a little bit cooler. It was, we, 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 had, we had a cracking album lined up. And she left. We were gutted. Why did she leave? She left. Um, and she'd admit this, you know. Um, she dealt with it badly, um, which she didn't tell any of us, and we found out through our management and then in the papers. She dealt with what badly? The breakup. Um, she left um, the band very quickly um, and didn't discuss it with us. It was just a decision she made. I know at the time she had her reasons and, and validated they and, are. And what were those reasons? Uh, the reasons, um, she, it, was, it was lack of communication. Um, she felt like she wasn't heard in the band um, and she left. Um, her reasons, um, like I said, I, you know, we were young, we were kids. It was, nobody knew how to manage this situation. We were phone hacked. We were all very suspicious of each other. We were best of friends, but very paranoid of each other too, because we, what we thought at the time was actual phone hacking. Um, we, um, we thought what potentially was it one of the other members of the band who was leaking our conversations that were being had our private conversations amongst each other with our loved ones wow. I, and so we were in a very paranoid situation i believe it's the reason that i have trust issues now i believe it's the reason i struggle with the height of fame and what fame's about and my relationship to success and money 
Um, and so that's why I'm possibly saying it's the worst thing that happened in my career was being in here. So because it came with a lot of heaviness, there was one moment where I loved my job in here. So like truly, truly loved it. And that was when we went on our 58 date tour around the country, our arena tour. And we extended the dates. It was in demand. It was so popular and it was amazing. I did my job. The rest, I never, at the time, I never did my job. It was of battling court cases. It was um, trying to f investigate and figure out what family member, what band member, what friend had sold a story on me. Who could I trust? Um, it was um, trying to uh, avoid conflict in the band. Um, it was trying to be noticed in the band. None of it was about singing, dancing and acting, which I wanted to do from such a young age and be on the stage and enjoy it. The only time was, was on that tour. That's when I did my job and got paid to do my purpose, my love, my ambition, the thing that I loved the most was that 58 date tour. The rest of it was emotional. It was an emotional roller coaster. Wow. I've got 732 questions now. <laughs> I know. We're going to go there. We're definitely going to go there. Just, okay. I remember. I'm regretting that I've gone live now. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and we're not just going to focus on this part of your career, but I, I thought yeah. I'd do it sort okay. of chronological. Okay. And obviously that was that for, that shaped you because you were so young. Mm -hmm. um, I, when we were at Justin Rose's charity ball together, I remember chatting to you. And you said that you sometimes got royalty checks that were like, I don't know, 20, 30 pounds or something. Pence. 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 So, pence. Pence. So tell us about how much you earned, did you think it was fair, and how that whole commercialization of hearsay, how it was. And don't hold anything back. <laughs> you know this is gonna be in the Daily Mail. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, um, just think how many people will help. Because actually, one, okay, one, all right, fair one enough, place fair I did enough. want to come from, and it was a question here I've got later on, just to give you the permission to really go there, is one of my questions was about if someone's young, got talent, how do they navigate their yeah. way through building their career in media? And you've okay. got like, so let's go from that angle, but I want to hear it all. Okay. Um, so, in all honesty, I was 18 when I joined the band. Um, and we were given the keys to the city. You know, 18 years old, you're a pop star now. You're going to live in a house in London. So I hadn't even left. I hadn't finished my college diploma. I left college early for this opportunity. You're going to live in a, a, a mansion that had tennis courts in London. 18, lived in Bury, was from a small town called Ratcliffe in Lancashire. Mm. And um, I was leaving my house to live in a mansion in London, in Mill Hill, with tennis courts. Um, and this was all organised by them, no choice by All organised by ITV. Yeah. Um, you're going to go there, you're going to have a million pound contract. So a million pounds, there we go, it's between five of us, that's your money. But well, it's not really your money because you've got to spend then all of your money. So then you pay for your um, So you were given album. a million pound contract? Yeah, a million between pound contract, five of you. between five of us. Which actually isn't a lot of money. No, it's not a lot no. of money. But that, that money was to make our album 
and do our first album. So that a million pound contract was oh, so your wasn't first what you were, album. It wasn't your pay? No, it wasn't, it wasn't my paycheck. Oh. So our paycheck we got then from ITV was 500 pounds a week, but we didn't have... Um, you got 500 pounds a week yeah. for being in, at the t time, one of the biggest bands in the world. This was the biggest TV show in the country yeah. at the time. So this isn't the band. The million pound contract was the band from the record label. Yeah. That's a million pound, but you make your album, you, yeah. you create that. So it's not your whole, pay? It's not my pay, no. no. And then we got £500 a week from ITV for the TV show. And that money, uh, but we got mobile phones given to us. We didn't have to spend any, we had a house given to us. So we lived there mm. for free. Um, we didn't spend anything really, everything was paid for. Um, whatever we kind of wanted personally was what we, we bought. So yeah. actually, compared to what happens now, we did really, really well. Oh, because it was, was it um, before or after tax? Oh, so that would have been um, before tax. Yeah. So you still had to pay tax on it. Yeah. So you might have netted 350, 300 pounds, whatever, but you had no expenses because they were all covered for yeah. you. Yeah. And you wouldn't have known when you're 18 years old with you know, no management that that's actually not a lot of money for what you're about to embark upon. No, but I was earning 68 pounds a weekend at the time. Yeah. So 500 pounds a week was like a massive, Yeah up on my weekly paycheck, because I was still in college. How many records did your first album sell? 1.2 million. And how, how much in royalty income have you got from that? Oh, barely anything. We didn't write any of our material. Oh, right. So like occasionally, um, in fact, I don't even claim for it now, but occasionally there'll be like a 20 pence I'm, I'm, I'm talking 20, <laughs> 20p. 20 Sorry, p. 20 pence. Yeah. The other thing as well at the time, which I'm going to be completely transparent about, I was 18 years old, I sat into a lawyer's um, room, a massive lawyer's room in London, sat there, five of us, I'm a kid, I pretended to read the contract because I was so scared, I didn't know what was, I just signed it, I was like, I'd been given a golden ticket to be in a pop band, I was told I was going to well, be... Well, it wasn't a golden ticket though, was it, with what you're saying about it? No, but at the time... Mm. That was, you know, something that was so huge. And I sat there and this contract sat in front of me. I was never taught what a contract was at school, mm. what to be signing, what not to sign. I mean, I could have literally have signed my life away, which I did, I signed what, my life what, away. What clauses were in that contract that I you don't, don't think were fair? I don't know, because I didn't read it. Oh. I didn't read the contract. Wow. But what, I wouldn't have even known what the jargon was though. Yeah, what happened? that they did that you didn't agree with? Like how they managed you? When we say they, who's they? Who's the management company? Um, I mean, I suppose it was, it's done as management companies work. I couldn't actually say I didn't agree with any of it or dis disagree. I didn't agree or disagree with any of what was done because I was there to do my job, which was to sing and to be a pop star and they did the rest. I think, I think it, there was lack of transparency, if I'm honest. Um, I think back then, that's the way management companies work. What weren't they transparent about? Um, I suppose it wasn't about transparency. We were there to do our job. We were working long hours, long hours, sometimes like 20 hour days. Really? Like, no joke, I remember um, finishing at GAY in, um, in London, which is like the big nightclub where the big pop acts perform. 
And then we had to be up on Lorraine or one of the early TV programs at um, like seven o'clock in the morning. We were, were coming in like at two o'clock in the morning, mm. turn, turn it around an hour back up, out, having yeah. to like three, four hours sleep and then that was it, back in the car. So we were the long hours. So the ins and outs of everything, they could have told me I might just not have been interested. Mm. And I've got to take responsibility for that Did as well. Did you ask? No. What's it all about? How many hours are going to work? No. Am I going to have any ownership of my music? No. Am I going to get any royalty income? I was too scared. Yeah. I was too scared to ask. Mm. I was, I felt like I was um, having to be completely grateful for that opportunity. I've been picked. I, you know, you're told, you're picked. You're mm. the chosen ones. You're mm. the special ones from thousands of people. You have been picked. How dare I ask the questions? Mm. Mylene was very good at that. She was the one who was quite outspoken. The rest yeah. of us kind of went along with it. And, you know, she, she was a lot more inquisitive about the situation. Mm. So you said it was the worst, not the best of your career. So if you could sum up what made it the worst, what, what was so bad about it? I think it's funny because I've done a lot of self-work recently, in recent years. And the way I saw, I saw a lot of it may not actually have been the way it was. Um, you know, you see things in a certain, in a certain light and when you're hurt and when you're burnt and when it doesn't turn out to be the dream that you want it to be, you come away with it being a very distorted and gray, horrible scenario. If I had maybe looked at it differently back then, it might not have been quite that, but looking at it now, I suppose I've come away from having to do a lot of self-work because of that time. Well, mm. we, it was a time when the papers were allowed to do anything. Legally, they can't do what they what, did. What did then. they do that they can't do Things now? like, um, you know, you, private investigators would be um, following us, um, phone hacking, invasion of privacy. Um, so your phone was hacked? Yes, yeah. Wow. Did you ever get any um, compensation or anything for that? Yeah, it's something I can't talk about, um, an agreement that, you know, was signed. But, um, yeah, I went through the process oh, so you, of it you all. took someone, some company to court? Yeah. 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 And got damages? Yeah. Was it settled out of court or was it? did it yeah. go all the way? No, out, out of court. Wow. Um, what sort of stories did they print about you from what they got on your phone? Um, there was, um, there was, you know, a fair bit within the hearsay time, um, you know, conversations that were had in private, you know, thing, arguments that had happened uh, between us within the band that had uh, been picked up on, on a conversation or a uh, voice note that was left, a voice message, voice notes, voice message right there. Yeah. My phone was a flip up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. like, I literally had a flip up phone. Um, and, um, and a lot of my time, you know, when I, my first relationship, my first media relationship with Darren, you know, we, when we got together, it was quite controversial. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's quite controversial. And why was that controversial? Because of the way we got together, um, which. How did you get together? We, 
I have to, I have to ask. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I'm not asking anything that people can Google. Well, no, of course. I mean, the papers, you know, highly documented it. <laughs> um, I, I, I only, I know you as a friend. I don't know any of this media stuff. Yeah. So I'm actually yeah. asking like someone who is watching and maybe doesn't yeah. know. So, yeah, no, yeah. I get that. It's fine. Um, so well, what, yeah, we, what was controversial we, about you? We you got know? together when um, we were in relationships with other people. Right. And they um, booked our rooms, uh, hotel rooms, and found out. And uh, we had a photographer like hiding behind plant bushes and taking pictures. So there was just no privacy. And so it all kind of came out and a lot of people were hurt. Um, something that I massively regret, a part of my life that I live in shame that's, for but, that day. But that's your right to tell or not tell the people involved, not the media's right to slap that all over mm. the world. Mm. Yeah. So are you, are, you, are you pissed off with the media? Yeah. I'm humiliated. It was public humiliation. And then it what didn't just stop there, you know. Um, Darren, you know, he had, he had complications with his relationship with drugs and therefore he then was quite, you know, <laughs> promiscuous and so then they they documented all of that and I was while he was with you whilst well. he was with yeah. me yeah and so I was heavily pregnant and I would read stuff in the papers you know all of this as much as they're going oh we helped you out you know we caught you know we're, we're only telling the truth we're only documenting what is happening um, it was public humiliation at times I just did not want to leave the house didn't want to leave the house frightened of my own shadow. I was frightened of the judgment. Papers, you know, the things that happen in the papers, you think, well, at the time, more people read them for a start. Um, but you also think that, you know, you go to your local shop, they've read it, they know the story, they know all about it. And a lot of the time they didn't, but a lot of the time they did too. Mm -hmm. So it was public humiliation. And how did that make you feel? Awful. I, and it was my mistakes, the mistakes that I was making as a, as a kid still, you know, I was 21 years old, I, you know, was doing things wrong, I was making all of these mistakes that you do within that time of 18 to 25 of your life where you, you're trying to figure out who you are, what your personality is, what you've learned as a kid, you know, are they the right beliefs? Do, do you need to form new ones? You know, what is it? Who are you as a person? All those informative years were there to be told to everyone what I'd done on a regular basis, on a weekly basis. Sundays was awful. I remember my dad saying to me once, oh God, you're not going to like this one. I'm thinking I've not even read the paper, I've not even woken up. What the hell is going on? And it was just that time, it was really damaging. And now, coming away from that, um, I suppose I still have that fear of that public humiliation for everybody to, I'm saying everybody, you know, this is a massive generalization. It's not everybody, but a lot of people. Um, judging me for, for the mistakes that I've made. And, and I, can't, I can't hide those mistakes to a few people that may know within my circle. They're there to be Googled. Like you said, you know, anyone can Google them. I'm live now, but anyone can Google them if they want to. Mm. They're not deleted, they're not gone. I can try my fucking best for that to happen. 
but I've got to live in that shame and be reminded of them if somebody wants. And sometimes, occasionally, people will remind me of those mistakes with comments and stuff, and it puts me right back to that vulnerable 19, 20-year-old thinking, oh, God, who am I? What have I done? Um, and that's why I say it's the worst, because those are the major parts that I remember the most, apart from the wonderful time that I had on tour, and that was my, the best gig. And all you wanted to do was sing, dance and act? Yeah. So do you think that, therefore, the sort of reality TV, the way it's manufactured and the industry, do you think that society doesn't need that? Do you think it's wrong for society? I mean, they're still doing it, aren't they, really? I think it can give a platform for good. I think there's still, you know, you know, if we didn't have the singing reality shows, I think um, we would miss on some amazing talent that but we have. But would you though? Because would people just come through of their own natural way? I mean, it was a st if you think about the way it, it enabled people who wouldn't normally know how to get in front of um, casting directors, in front of record producers, it gave them a path to be able to go, you know, people who didn't have the money to go to great colleges and to understand and get the knowledge and, and contacts, it, it did give people an opportunity, which I think is great. But that is now the way social media happens. It gives everyone an opportunity to have a platform and to be famous if they want to be. Mm. Um, I do think it's, it's damaging. And I do, I do think as well, we we are i'm going to speak my absolute truth and this could massively massively backfire but sometimes i think we are giving people a platform and this this is on social media as well for then other people to follow bad examples and there's role models out there that um that aren't necessarily um trying to be really don't, diplomatic don't, um don't. that are fucking kids up how are they fucking kids up well i think by um by behaving in a certain way that is appropriate that is inappropriate to what we are role you know not being kind not being um I'm, I was kind of losing my, my thought process with it really i'm trying to be, i'm trying to be um diplomatic about it because you know, there but are you, different versions of the story, yeah, but, but I think... you can help people here, though, can't you? I'm going to help you out. I'm okay. going to start this process. So okay. Number one is, my daughter is seven and she does this. And I think a seven-year-old daughter should not be shaking her ass because the other end of that is some guy going on the back of it, isn't it? And I'm thinking, where's she fucking got that from? Doing the, the booty-ass shaking. It's, and it's funny. Yeah. But I'm thinking, where's she got that from? The next thing is... All these young girls, but not just girls, becoming highly insecure age 18, 19 and 20 by putting plastic in their face, their lips, filling, having a, a triangle face. Yeah. Um, now, if someone's 50 or 60 and their skin is sagging off their face and, you know, cosmetics, fine. And I'm not even judging anyone who's doing this, but you, I, I just wanted to help you out yeah. so you can share your own version of the truth. I, I think you're, that, that's, that's exactly what I mean. I mean, I, th 
I think we are promoting a certain image. I think there's, there's a big movement of body co um, positivity. And um, there's some good being done out there, but there's some bad as well. You know, filling our faces so we are all looking identical is wrong. And this is what I mean by giving people platforms on TV to promote that it's cool. We are, we are following, we are paying these, some people out there who have screwed other people over because we're making TV shows about them. So these people who um, financially take off women or, you know, they are on these dating websites and they you're on about tinder swindler yeah tinder swindler he's now exactly. he's now like a um a, a guru educator isn't yeah. he teaching people how to make money exactly this uh, this, this is what is but this is what is outrageous about platforms is that we are making it okay we're making it cool to be these people and to lead the way there's role models out there who are putting so much plastic and so many fillers and all morphing into the same person and and the the filters that we're using on our instagrams yeah. it, it, it's getting out of control and for me we are just promoting it giving it platforms we're making more tv shows out about it we're making it cool we're making it okay what problems do you think it creates in people identity issues i think there's um i think it it really it's forming the beliefs and morals of young children that are completely out of line, and none of them are aligned. And, and, and I think it's just promoting a world of emptiness and sadness and... Yeah, I feel like, um, not that anyone cares about what I think, but I'm just gonna say it. Um, I think you're very beautiful. You are naturally, and because you haven't stuck a load of stuff in your face, you are much more beautiful for that. And every woman I've ever seen that I think is beautiful is not filled with stuff. You can actually see their features. And yeah. sometimes, like my wife's got these little dimples here. She didn't have them when she was 27, but they're lovely. Yeah. But she wouldn't have to, she's 43 now, yeah. and that's part of her beauty and if it takes a man i mean apparently women don't do it for men they do it for themselves bullshit why because we are attracted to each other yeah like you know kieran was a bodybuilding world champion a natural bodybuilding world champion and yeah he wants to look good but he wants to pull hot women and he won't mind me saying <laughs> if, and, and if he looks good he knows he's a good attraction to the opposite sex and he's not showing his muscles for the boys he's showing it for the girls mm. so uh, some people have said oh we never do any of this for men we do it for ourselves no no one puts their face at risk by pumping chemicals in it for themselves it but if men spoke out more and said we appreciate natural beauty for how it is and, and the reason i don't say it is because i don't really think anyone gives a fuck about my opinion um, and, and probably most women don't care. But if I say it, maybe more. Women are much more beautiful naturally. And they look worse when they stick loads of shit in their face. And they're risking their health. And I don't do online dating. But I've met people in real life who I've also met on the internet. I'm like, fucking hell. 
you, you do not look the same. And imagine if you're out dating. Yeah. I mean, you know. But that, that is the problem as well. And, and this is why <laughs> it's just getting so messed up. We are not allowing ourselves to be authentic because we're scared of judgment. We're not Ooh. allowed, we're following trends by influencers. I, I've got friends in the industry or acquaintances in the industry. And, you know, Katie Price, for example, I think if she'd never had um, done anything to her looks, I think, you know, she, she didn't need to do that. She didn't no. need to do any of it. But, but these people are on platforms. Surely, they are looked up to by young, yeah. younger people all they the must, time. They must be doing and it from a place happens. of insecurity, surely. Surely no one is going to that level of cosmetic surgery because they're happy with themselves and they love themselves. Surely, like, yeah, surely they're doing it because they're insecure. It takes as much work to be happy with yourself as it does to be paying people to put, do the work. So I would rather but it all goes be doing the, the work all goes to be happy same, about myself. Like we were talking earlier when we chatted on your show, if there's a bucket with a hole in it, the water just goes through and it never fills. Mm -hmm. So if someone doesn't love themselves, no matter how much they spend on their appearance, it will never be good enough. No. So until they actually learn to love themselves for who they are, the beauty that they have within themselves, until they learn that, tattoos and cosmetics and everything else, not going to change anything, is it? I, no, it's not. I often, and I, I won't lie, I often, I have had Botox and it's worn off and then I've gone, shall I have it again? And then I think I've not. I'm not. I've got nothing at the moment. I'm By the all, way, all natural. No, I'm not. No judgment coming here. We're trying. Like I didn't yeah, even. Yeah. This isn't in the questions. I didn't know we were going to go here. I'm not judging anyone. We all have in, yeah, in, yeah. insecurities. But if it takes a man to say it to start the ball rolling, but you will never fill a void of not loving yourself with cosmetics and anything out external in how you look? You won't, I've done it. I've been there, I've gone, I've looked at myself, I've followed the crowd, I have been a sheep where I've gone, I can't do that TV show unless I get Botox. Last year I was up for the rowing um, reality show. I can't remember what it was called. Uh, they didn't return it because I don't think it did very well, but um, they, um, I was, I was down and, and I remember thinking, shit, I've got to go and get some Botox done because I've not had it done for ages. It's been the pandemic. And I did, I went and had it done. And I don't know why I conformed to that because that actually isn't me. Mm. I have to work really hard to stop going down that route, but I am occasionally led down that track because I do have insecurities. Well, we because I do. want to follow what everybody else is doing and not be the one left out. But at the moment, I am trying my best not to do that. Every time I go to Google or go to ring the face doctor, I, <laughs> I, I'm like, no, no, stop it. Yeah. Be happy. And then I've got to go away and do a little bit of work on myself. Mm. And it, it takes a lot of work to, to not conform to what everybody else is doing because everybody's having lip fillers. Everybody's having Botox. Everyone's having veneers. And... I'm trying not to do it and I'm feeling more and more left out. Um, but I want to be authentic. I, I want to rip the rule book up a bit. And if I, if I didn't, I shouldn't have the Happy Health Club as well. I shouldn't have yeah. what I, I should be practicing what I preach by saying you've got to start liking yourself and speaking nicely when you look at yourself in the mirror. 
or else, you know, if you don't have your own self-respect, then you're not going to get the love and respect off anybody else. Mm. If you're spe- like we said before on my podcast, law of attraction. If you're speaking negatively to yourself, if you're speaking negatively, that is what you're going to receive back. If you're valuing yourself, when you look at yourself in the mirror, others will value you because that's what mm. attracts back. It is a law of attraction like law of gravity. If I dropped that, it goes down. It's the same about speaking and who you are, mm. about being. If you're positive, positive things do happen. Mm. So you said that you struggled with your mental health after um, coming out of the band hearsay. Um, from the research that I did, I've not talked yeah. to you about it. And um, But now you're big into wellness mm-hmm. um, and health. So take us a little bit on the journey of, take us to the bottom point of your mental health and then the work you did to recover it back and now turn it into a passion and profession. So um, coming out of hearsay, um, my passion and my love, and it will always be a first love, is performing. Um, I've done it from the age of three. Like literally from the minute I was out of nappies, I was put into dance school and I loved it. I loved going every day. I never loved, I never missed a class. I loved it more than school. If I didn't have to do school and just went to, and, and just did performing, that, that would have been the dream for me. So I knew from such an early age, I didn't know, I didn't care what order it came in, whether it was singing first, acting first or dancing first. I loved all three um, and that's what I wanted to cover. And so coming out of hearsay, realizing, and, and the fame thing, you, you do buy into that when you're growing up and you're wanting to be acknowledged for what you do. You wanna be the best. We all have that element of wanting to be heard and seen and having a platform to speak on. And that's what it was, but it was through the art of what I did best. And when it didn't become about that, and it was fame for very different reasons, um, that was the first chipping block to what I love that kind of chipped away. What am I doing? What is my purpose? Oh, that didn't kind of turn out the way I wanted it to turn out. But still, I'm rushing for it. So I went to musical theatre because musical theatre, I can sing, dance and act, I can do it all. And I can do it in a show and it's not going to be like the music industry. It'll be a different experience and it is a nice industry to be in theatre. It's still very brutal, um, still probably politically not very correct with the way you get spoken to. But it was like dance school. I was used to it. It was the kind of world that I loved. But you got to do what you loved. Once you got through that rehearsal part, you're on stage and you're doing that night and day. And I loved it. And I did that for um, quite a few years. And then I went into Dancing on Ice and I was back on the TV, which then brings media. But that was a lovely experience. I had such a great time on Dancing on Ice. I got to learn a new skill. It was a very different experience to pop stars. I didn't have like that negative throw of press out there. They were very supportive. I was a single mum. They loved the story. They made me the golden girl. And, you know, it was like a done wrong by Darren. Darren was the bad guy. I suddenly became the good guy, the good girl. And um, I was a single mum and I was there for the other single mums out there. And then a love story happened where I then got married and Everything looked really great, but I was dying on the inside. I was still broken. I hadn't fixed the crap that had happened in hearsay, so it was all still chipping away. I was ruining my own gigs with my own self-sabotage and getting in my own way. I wasn't allowing myself to be free and enjoying the experience and taking it further. There was just always something holding me back in case 
the papers did to me, what they did the first time round in case I was publicly humiliated again. It was all always a little bit of fear about it all. Um, and I got to do my dream role off the back of uh, winning Downton and Ice, which was playing Roxy Hart in Chicago. Absolutely loved it. Um, and then I don't know what happened really. I I was just always getting in my own way. And whilst I was getting in my own way, I was drinking more. I was not having a healthy relationship with my self-image and my body. Um, I didn't like what I saw back in the mirror. The more I didn't like I saw what I saw back in the mirror, the more I drank. The more I didn't um, value myself within the workplace, the more I drank after work. The more I didn't value myself within my relationship, my, my, my marriage to um, my ex-husband, uh, Jason King, um, the, the more I drank. And I was just... I was just always running away from me. He didn't like me. I hated myself. I was living in shame from the person that I was portrayed to be when I came out of hearsay. Um, and just probably just so confused on who I was. I never got to, to discover who I was because it was always done with a camera in my face on a reality TV show. My dad was a cameraman. I had a camera in my face from being the minute I was born, I'd been filmed. And that's the way I know how to be, is performing on camera. I didn't know who I was, I was always performing. And I still, to this day, I'm working on that. Who am I, what's my truth? I'm scared of saying my truth, in Say case it. it's true. Who are you and what's your truth? Say it. I'm confused, I'm complicated, I'm wacky, I'm crazy. Sounds like an Alanis Morissette <laughs> song. <laughs> Isn't it ironic? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm vulnerable, I'm scared. I wake up some mornings fearing what the day is gonna bring and I work so hard on that and I'm working so hard on, on turning my negatives into positives. I really am working so hard on loving me um, because I've not loved me for, I don't know, probably since I was a kid. You know, even at dance school, um, I was never going to be the ballerina because I was told I was too big boned for that. I was never going to be the dancer. So find your voice, sing, act. When I was in hearsay, you weren't the best singer. You're, you're the one at the back, stand at the back because she's better than you. You're not going to get that part because she's more beautiful. You're not going to get that. You're too tall, you're too short, you're too fat, you're too thin. Everything was always, you weren't quite right. And so there was a lot more of that to the times that I was right, but then I didn't embrace the times that I was right and say, yeah, that's, that's what it is. I, I generally say, nobody likes me. There's no evidence to that. There's lots of people who do like me. And I'm learning so much along the way about those generalizations, that map that I've created of me and my life. I'm learning to change the map and change my paths and change my language and change my beliefs and I'm still getting to know myself and I'm going to change, I'm going to evolve, but I, I'm complicated. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> That's my next song. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you've reinvented yourself if you think about it because you're a businesswoman now and obviously you've got your brand and you're very into the, the health and wellness. So do two things if you don't mind. Number mm -hmm. one, how did you reinvent yourself? 
and try and maybe do it in a way which can give people some practical if they're transitioning yeah. from one thing to another. And then number two, tell us about your, you know, your new business. You've got a big sponsor. You're doing great things as a an entrepreneur. So tell us about it. So um, reinventing myself was by accident. I had to hit rock bottom, and I think a lot of people do hit rock bottom to reinvent themselves. Before you carry on, then what was rock bottom? Uh, my rock bottom, um, I think, was from the moment my dad passed away in 2012. Um, there was lots of, um, till 2019, so there was lots of highs and lows within that time. I had a second child, um, which was a major high. And then I was still extremely confused. My drinking habits were really all over my relationship with alcohol now I don't call myself an alcoholic because I don't think that serves the people in my community very well when because I think it's a very gray area alcoholism I don't think you can define it I call myself a middle lane drinker because I could take big breaks away from alcohol and really work on my my wellness and make myself feel great um, and be really on top of my game but then um, I'd get in my own way and self-sabotage and suddenly the drink would hit uh, quite hard so um, you know there's a lot of because of hitting those rock bottoms with my drink with my mental health um, not understanding where I wanted my life or my career to go um, knowing that I needed to find a purpose again. I fell out of love of performing when my dad passed away and I don't know why that happened at that time. Um, I think it was just a downward spiral from that time to 2019. Um, and then I was around, I was hanging around with very toxic people around that time as well. And what is a, what, what's a toxic people person? who um, I suppose were, were drinking like me, um, people who were um, I suppose weren't really my friends because of me, you know, they, they were they were my friends because of my, where I, because of my fame. Um, and I saw a lot, just a lot of using within that time. Um, and I was surrounding myself with people that weren't very nice people. Um, and I think hitting that rock bottom, realizing that I weren't making the right decisions of who I was surrounding myself with and then with the drinking too, um, and not looking after myself and thinking this is just only going to go one way. I've got kids. I've got kids who need me to be a better human being. Um, and that's where it started. I had to be better for them. I had to be better for myself first and foremost to pick myself up. And the reinvention came from just being better for my, myself and my family. And then I decided to be transparent and honest about it on my social platforms. I realized that I wasn't doing a very good job as a performer with a platform that I had, wasn't really serving a community. I was posting pictures that were filtered. I was um, disguising the way I looked and being honest. It was all about the family holidays that looked amazing, the events that I was turning up to, the showbiz people that I was hanging out with. I was being the people <laughs> that I was hanging around with. I was being that person, um, living a life that, you know, I was showing that side on social media, but I wasn't showing my true self and being true to myself. And so when I kind of decided to start again, that literally start again, um, which also happened to be within the time the pandemic hit, mm. um, 
I decided just to share my story to talk about my mental health and to talk about this um, this journey that I was going on and quitting alcohol. I was three months into being sober when the pandemic hit, and I did think, you know, if I got a get, get out of jail free card here, could I um, start drinking again? No one's going to know. I haven't really told my truth yet, but I didn't. I thought, no, I'm, I'm going to do things differently this time. This is my time to change, make a difference, and stop making mistakes, and actually be a better human. Mm. Oh, yeah. So that's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> what a journey. What a journey, what a journey. Yeah, I feel a bit sad. The reason I feel sad is because obviously I've known you since I think 2016. And, you know, we don't have like a close friendship, but we have a distant friendship. Not distant in the sense of there's a space, but just the gap of time and social media. I've never asked you for anything because I don't like doing that. I'm friends with a, quite a few famous people and I never ask them for anything. But just to think that you were going through that and you didn't send out a message makes me sad. I think though as well. But then I'm, you know, who am I? I'm just me. And, but I just, but, I suppose the reason I'm saying that is. Do you know, funnily though, your books were messages for me. You know, what you did helped me with your books you know mm. my my road to actually starting to do things a little bit differently to manage my time better to actually value myself um you know your books helped me mm. you know i was reading all of these your books we got in contact i contacted you via twitter we started to speak all of the stuff that you were doing you were actually doing in the background was helping me mm. Reinvent and be Can I tell you a, a secret that I have held to the grave about you? I need to do this because we're talking about authenticity and truth. Yeah. When you came up to me and we spoke at um, Strictly, yeah. I had the biggest shock because I didn't actually know who you were then because my VA had been speaking to you on social <laughs> media <laughs> and not me. And I didn't say anything. Um, I just was like, hey, and obviously we've developed a friendship, but yeah, I just feel like a lighter human being now I can tell you that truth. <laughs> and by the so, way... So I've been speaking to uh, a bot, no, your VA. Yeah, you've been, I mean, he is, he's way more than a VA, he's, he's amazing, but not, but after um, that Strictly when we met, yeah, I, yeah. I said... Yeah. I'm doing this now because I have no idea what what he said to you um, because he's done that quite a lot for me and I've been caught off guard with yeah. people I'm supposed to know. Yeah. Obviously, since then, you know, uh, it's been me. But yeah, I just thought I should tell you that in this moment. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad you have. I'm glad you've been uh, transparent about that. <laughs> we're having a very we're having a moment of truth day, aren't we? Yeah. All about truth. We are. We are. It's been good. It's been really cathartic, actually. Yeah. And I feel like I picked something up from you earlier when you said about it's about time you being your authentic self and something that I really learnt at that moment was it is again a part of your well-being journey if you are able to speak your truth, if you are able to lean in to that discomfort of having the courage to say this is who I am, this is how I feel, often when I speak I am quickly viewing the room to know who I'm speaking to, to actually speak the words that they may potentially want to hear. 
and it mm. is exhausting. Yeah. It's really exhausting. And I've done that if I'm on the sofa with Lorraine Kelly, thinking who's watching, what is my purpose for doing this? Who's the producer that's employing me? What is my truth? I did it at the, even at the start of this podcast just now when I'm trying to be diplomatic because I'm worried about what the repercussions are for everything that I'm always saying. It's exhausting mm. and that may be from the training in hearsay is that once it's out there, once you've said it, there's no pulling it back. And it, it's exhausting. Mm. It is exhausting. People listening and watching this should also listen and watch the episode we just did before. Really? Um, yeah, because I said the same thing in a different way, mm. as in our episode oh, we just oh, did oh, before, not right, one right, 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 no, no, right. our one. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it's funny how this moment has all happened. You just messaged me, and we hadn't spoken for a while, and just said, hey, how are you doing? And it's funny because we had this space booked, but no one in our second slot. And I just thought, why have I not asked Susie to come and do some content with her? I don't, don't even know why I have. I mean, I've done yeah. 800 episodes, and we've been friends for years, and I've not actually asked you. And then, and then here we are talking about all these similar things. So will you um, shout out your podcast because people should listen to that interview as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, it's Dare to be Happy and it's being released um, on the next bank holiday Monday, which is the 2nd of May. Yeah, 2nd of okay. May. So that'll so, be out by the time our content goes out. Yeah. So, and yeah. so it's called Dare to be Dare Happy. Dare to be Happy, yes. Yes, you should dare. To dare be to be happy. <laughs> and it was a great conversation we had. Yeah, it was. It was great. Should we do a quick fire round? Yeah, I yeah. I like quick yeah, fire rounds. Quick fire rounds. Let's Changes do it. Changes up the energy. Um, all right. I'll ask you two or three that are mm -hmm. not as quick fire. And then when I say quick fire again, then it's 15 seconds. So this is semi quick fire. How would you build a business balancing being a mum? Preparation is key, being prepared, being um, organized. It's really difficult. I think um, for so long I ran around in the dark with no routine, no consistency. And I was running around chasing my tails, just doing the same gigs, never progressing, never getting better. So I think you have to be organized. You have to have a routine. Do you think it's harder for mum and female entrepreneurs than it is male entrepreneurs? Yeah, way harder. Why is it harder? I think it's harder because a lot of shame comes around being ambitious when you're female. Um, I think we're still fighting for that, that, right? We are meant to be the ones at home looking after. There's a lot of guilt. When you give birth, you give birth to guilt. I've said that from like my first child. You give birth to guilt because you feel like you have to literally give everything to your children and to say, no, you can wait whilst I pursue my career makes you feel guilty, you, you feel in shame. So I think it's way harder for a woman than it is a man. How can a man, men, help make it easier for women? I think it's that shared responsibility as soon as um, the child's born. I mean, you know, there, I think it is changing. You know, a lot of men now take paternity leave, uh, but it's certainly not as long as maternity. And I don't know, I don't think, if necessarily it always has to be like that i feel i feel like it's more so women accepting it's okay to be ambitious and men understanding and helping and supporting women being able to be ambitious giving that space mm. what's the best advice you ever received 
Christ, I've received lots of good advice. Um, best advice I've ever received, I think, just to take a moment and breathe. I can be so mindless at times and do things off the cuff without even thinking about it. Sometimes that I don't even know that I'm doing, I, I go and do something and I think, why the hell did I just do that? Just taking a moment to breathe, and that's where running's helped me. Just go out for a run. Just take a moment. I think, breathe, just breathe. What do you think's worse, mainstream media or social media, and why? Mainstream media. And the reason I'm saying that is because I think there's limited amounts of people who have control over mainstream media, whereas social media is a platform that is for many to have opinions and uh, judgments on, um, whereas mainstream media is controlled by lots of different bodies and it's manipulated. Mm. Mm. So you like the more decentralised nature of social media, where yeah. more people have a voice, therefore there's more democracy or accountability. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to... Manipulation a, and... A few old white men owning the world. Yeah, I think that rattles me a lot. It's a very massive triggering point for me, white what? men ruling the world. Oh, really? Yeah. So how do we change that then? Should it... Who should rule the world? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think we need a, a rebrand on this. Uh, I think we have to have diversity. We have to, we have to change it up. And I think, I think things have to get a bit rough before it's going to get better. Um, but we have to change it. What's the rough? Taking out the middle-aged white men ruling the world. Um, Do you know what I am? <laughs> I've been born at just the wrong time. Forty-three-year-old. No, please say it. I, look, I'm keep. I'm listening to you. This is about you, not me. So what we we need? Yeah, go on. Say I it. I just Get. think we need we need it. We need to change it up. There has to be diversity in there. We have to open it up. Um, it, it, that, that's, that's my personal view. I mean, I hate going into politics, but um, yeah, that, that's my view. I, it, there's too many of the same minds that are ruling the world, and that's why it's not working. Mm. Why we're, we're waking up to batshit crazy stories. Sometimes I think I've woken up into a parallel universe that I'm in some kind of comedy sketch that I'm like, is this for real? Oh, yeah, it is. Oh, great. Um, <laughs> what's the worst advice you ever received oh um so many probably something along the lines of uh you know something to do with money like oh save your money for a rainy day that money doesn't grow on trees um don't go spending too much you know don't be too over the top with your money yeah Anything to do with money has been the worst advice mm. I've ever received. Wow. Yeah. And that must be part of how we attracted each other in with my book, money. Yeah. yeah. Mm. How has the music industry changed in the last 20 years? It's become more diverse. I love it. I love the fact that, um, you know, when I was in uh, the music industry, I think the most out there person uh, was Madonna, um, who'd ever kind of crossed the charts and maybe like Elton John as well. Mm. Um, but then we had when Lady Gaga came in, um, and we've got Sam Smith and you know Harry Styles. You know people are just doing it differently now. 
the music industry has allowed us to be um, ourselves and be authentic and be give us that freedom of being colourful and magical. Um, and it's also changed in the, the fact that you can actually release your own records. There's no mm. middle-aged white men ruling the music <laughs> industry. <laughs> it's changed up. Yeah. Old to middle-aged white men. I actually don't feel middle-aged, but technically I am. Isn't well, 40s middle-aged? Yeah. I don't feel it. I think we're looking cracking for our age. Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's one thing wrong with the world that you'd love to see changed? <laughs> um, I think I think we're all fear, we all fear judgment. Wouldn't it be wonderful if everyone woke up? I mean, if, it would be scary, but if we uh, we didn't worry and fear, we'd like let go of the fear of the judgment. Um, it would be. I would feel better. Um, free, free, yeah. yeah. Um, I think we're just, I think what actually what's wrong with the world is we don't get taught how to look after ourselves. We actually don't. There is no education. I think the education system is flawed. Wow, that was a big comment, wasn't it? Um, I think we're learning things that don't serve us anymore. I think well, it, times it's are, old, isn't it's it? Old, the education yeah. system is old and things change. Yeah. You know, we don't use the first phones we ever had now. Think about how much phones have evolved yet. Has the education system evolved in the same way? We absolutely do need to, to learn much more about money yeah. and managing our emotions. Yeah. The hardest thing in the world is one of is managing your own emotions and understanding what they are. You know, you said about going for a run and you can make some really crazy decisions. You have this buildup of emotion and you don't know what it is or what it means. And it comes from 25 years ago in your childhood, but you've never been taught any of this shit. Oh, and by the way, it's taboo to have a therapist and people criticise you for self-help and you've got this emotion and it all boils in and it controls you and then you make a decision or an action and that fucking ruins your life. Yeah. Whereas breathing and going for a run regulates those emotions down, then you become more balanced and you become more logical and then you can start to understand that. That shit isn't taught at school. Money, emo emotions around money. Emotions They're around money. Taught. How often do you go onto Amazon to spend because you need a quick dopamine hit and Ooh. you're not managing your money right because you are emotional when you are going to do those things to make yourself feel instantly yeah. better or reach for the wine or the Mars bar. All of these things. Well, what is it you said, if this quote is right, I'm always mindful, but yeah. you, you were eating and drinking your emotions. Yeah. Is that something yeah. you said? Correct. Yeah, correct, yeah. Wow, fuck, oh, I, do that I do that a lot. Really? Yeah, well, I was the fat kid at school, wasn't yeah. I? So, so you I go do. back if to I'm a not, place. If I'm not feeling love, yeah. I eat. If I celebrate, we I all, eat. So we all do. Yeah. We all do. There's one thing that I read recently where you take a moment. Um, this is actually quite a spiritual book um, that I read. But it was to say, just sit at the fridge and meditate for a second before you actually decide what you're going to get out of that fridge. To give yourself a moment to breathe and think, why am I here? Yes. Is it off emotion? What's yes. my trigger? You've got your trigger and you've got your response. You need to use that space in between to help you make better decisions. Well, what a great piece of life advice. I remember reading something on Arianna Huffington. And she said about that real emotional triggering usually lasts about 10 seconds. Yeah. 
So, because I get an immediate feeling and I open the fridge. Yeah. And I abuse Easter eggs like it's 1985. Yeah. And, um, but if I open the fridge and thought for 10 seconds and allow, allowed that triggering response to go, yeah. I probably wouldn't do that. So, uh, give yourself 11 seconds. Yeah. You, you, you're triggered, you have an emotional response. Give yourself 11 seconds and then see if you make any different decisions. You have to, you have mm. to work with that space in between the trigger mm. and response. And the more you can start utilizing that space, the better, you, the bigger the space will get, the better decisions you will mm. make to then respond. Mm. Yeah, we know when you get cut up in a car, you're like, fuck off you wanker. <laughs> yeah. Just don't You've done do that, that before, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> you just go, Okay, I'm not yeah. going to respond like that. You have, you are holding on to your choices. You give away the power to your choices. Yeah. You walk out of your door and you have choices. You are given that freedom of choices. What are you going to give your power away to? The same cycle of eating the shit or drinking or, or being angry towards your local shopkeeper or your family. Or mm. You have these choices. You can change it. You can change your life with your thoughts and your yeah. choices. Mm. So this is this question I never ask because everyone asks it on a podcast. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask it mm -hmm. because for you, it is like this question was made for you. Right. So what advice would you give your 21-year-old self? Um, stop taking life so seriously is the first thing I'd say. Laugh a little bit more. And don't care what anybody else thinks. Boom. Which celebrity do you admire and why? And I only ask that not because celebrity, but yeah. because you were in that world. Yeah, no. Um, oof. I've never, I've never in my, my life had idolised celebrity. I just never have. Um, so I actually don't really have an answer for that. I appreciate people's talents and viewpoints. Um, but I don't, I don't have, I just don't, you know, idolise celebrity. Well, I idolise people. I did say admire, not idolise. Ad, uh, admire, admire, yeah. admire, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, I admire plenty. Mm. I admire Lady Gaga. She's great for showing up a person of who she is and mm. being real to what she wants to do. Yeah. I admire that in, in someone. I admire it because I wish I could do it. We're getting some good shit here. <laughs> this is good shit. Um, a 15 second or less tip for mental strength. You... <laughs> a 15 second... Say that again. A 15 second... Or less tip. Or less tip. For mental strength. I think I'd have to go back to... Um, it's about breathing in between your trigger and response. It has to, you know, just give yourself space. Um, when you feel triggered, no matter what it is, even if it's like a joyous moment, what makes you want to burst and open the champagne and get absolutely shit-faced and then wake up regretting your decisions in life. Um, it is uh, most definitely to give yourself that space and breathe through it. Mm. Do you know who Sadhguru is? Yeah, I went to his uh, conference the other week. Oh, cool. I love him. I love I think him. He's, got, he's very spiritual, of course, but he's got yeah. a good sense of humour as well. Yeah. And uh, he talks about anger and he says, well, you know, do you like being angry? No. So why'd you do it? 
in only the way that Sadhguru can. I just think that really stuck with me. No one likes being angry. No. So why do you choose to do it? We, we don't think we choose, but we do choose. So if you don't like anger, don't do it. It makes everything sound so simple. He does. <laughs> he does. He said something along the lines of, um, you know, if you're having poisonous thoughts about somebody, you are, cre- you are literally creating poison mm. in your own blood. So if you are thinking ill of somebody else, you are not making them ill. You are only making yes. yourself ill. Yes. Jealousy, comparison, resentment, bitterness, anger. That person doesn't feel that. Mm. It's literally self-punishment. Yeah. That's why, you know, when you forgive others, you set yourself free. Yeah. Mm. We did. We had, I think we had Sadhguru agree, didn't we? And one of the, we've had about 832 people agreed that then it hasn't subsequently yet oh, come you've off. got to get Sadhguru. He's doing the He's soil brilliant. conference. We missed him. We missed him. Because oh. he came to UK in March, didn't he? Yeah, well, we, I went, to, we went backstage to meet him. It yeah. was the most peculiar thing I've ever seen. It was like Jesus was in the room. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was, it, was, it was bizarre. How can I have bonkers. that effect on women? <laughs> <laughs> Grow a really white beard. Yeah, I could do that part. That's that part I could do. So tell us about your podcast, your business, your brand. Tell us about what you're up to and what you're doing and what you're promoting. And So um, the Happy Health Club was born from my mistakes in life, my changes, uh, my big lifestyle changes. And um, during the pandemic, I uh, created something called the Sure Happy Plan which was me just doing workouts with um, experts of PTs, uh, cooking videos with chefs and, um, and just talking about life um, and, and sobriety. And so um, it evolved into the Happy Health Club, which I created a brand and we, the three pillars are eat plants, try sober, get fit, which is plant-based living, um, sobriety, so uh, life without uh, alcohol, which you're alcohol free, aren't you, most of the time? Well, I, I would say, I'm, I'm not teetotal, but I will have one drink. Right. And I will have one drink to celebrate. Yeah. And it makes me feel all warm and fuzzy, so it does the job. I yeah. don't need more than one. So I can't say I'm teetotal, but I have one drink maybe six times a year. Wow. Yeah. Um, something like that. Yeah. yeah. And I get a bit, these guys will tell you, it makes me like piss for half an hour. My <laughs> testicles all tickle and all sorts. It's like fucking brilliant. It's really good. I don't, I'm very sensitive to anything like that. Yeah, yeah. So just coffee and I'm on a huge buzz. Yeah. So I don't actually need any more. If I have two, yeah. I, sh- I could get a hangover on two drinks. Yeah. So I guess I just know where yeah. I'm at. Yeah. But that's great that you've got the willpower to moderate and stop and not take it any further, well, if you got, especially if your balls get tickling. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I've, t- I've tested having two or three and then my face starts to get red and it's just all about knowing your own. Yeah. It's, what, what, yeah. it's very difficult for humans to, to know what the optimum is because when we, we often go above and beyond and through the optimum and that's when you get to addictions and yeah. everything else. But you know, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who basically had three or four really intense days and then he had a huge argument, huge argument with his partner. And um, I said to him, why don't you, when you've had three or four intense days, just take the next day off? And it ne- had never occurred to him, because he's an entrepreneur and us entrepreneurs don't, have a lot, don't take a lot of time off. Mm. But it had never occurred to him to take that next day off. And he said, oh yeah, I probably wouldn't have had that big 
argument and that emotional response because I was just really fatigued. Mm. So people and entrepreneurs, it's good. I, I spent a year testing all the different types of coffees. I am very obsessive about coffee. I have a medium skinny cappuccino, extra shot from Costa at 6 a.m. and 10 a.m. And that's it. And I've tested every coffee and every amount at different times of day and blah, blah, blah. I have the same sleep pattern. And people think I'm a bit OCD, but I know what is the optimum for mm. me. And above that, actually, you get diminishing lower returns. So the optimum, for example, with champagne, probably 150 mil is the optimum. Right. But they give you it in 125. Yeah. And then, but then the double is 250. So I'll have one glass and then I'll order another one and I'll have like 25 mil of it and then I'll just chuck the rest away. That's really disciplined. Well, it, it actually isn't. What it is is taking time to figure out your optimal yeah. Because imagine if you're an athlete, you yeah. weigh, I mean, he has to weigh his food. You know, Kieran weighs his food, he knows his exact macros. Yeah. He knows his exact heart rate for burning fat. Yeah. You, you know, he knows his exact number of reps. So in fitness, people measure everything. Yeah. And then you get, you know, really good physique or really good strength. But in life, we don't measure everything. But you cannot master what you do not measure. Yeah. So I don't have I don't have meetings after three o'clock because four o'clock I'll crash. I have a nap at four o'clock, and I, but I test all these things. That's great, but then your consistency I think then shows, and your routine shows within your success. Yeah, it, it does. And then and then and then you form the right habit for you. Yeah. And it just causes an issue with holidays if there's not a cost of coffee in the <laughs> Honestly, my poor wife. <laughs> Give us your website. Yes. Give us your social media where we can follow you. Yeah, so it's thehappyhealthclub.com. I've got a challenge coming up in uh, May the 2nd. But if you sign up to my newsletter, you'll find out all of the things um, that we are offering, what we're doing. We're about to launch a monthly membership. Um, what's, the li- what's the URL of your newsletter? Just go to thehappyhealthclub.com. Yeah, yeah. And you can get it yeah then it's yeah. right on the first page, the home page. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So, and then um, social media, where are you most active? Uh, Susie underscore Shaw. Um, so you can see me there, Susie with an I, S U Z I underscore Shaw. Um, most active there, but we do have uh, the underscore Happy Health Club as well.